Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours, but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and lived the lives they deserve. Because of that, founders live lives of abundance, freedom, and creativity. That's what I'm really all about. Hello, my name is Aziz and from Bien, a poor boy born to a single mother in North Africa. With no opportunities, just sheer hard work to failing, multiple startups yet learning, a whole lot to barely escaping alive the war in Ukraine, even living as an illegal immigrant, I've lost everything twice. And now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day, sharing the wisdom of luminaries I've interviewed on this podcast from Google executives, Goldman Sachs, the Financial Times, Forbes Technology Council, World Economic Forum, Harvard University, and even a priest from the Vatican Church. Everyone is welcome here. So let's begin. My guest today is John Chapelier. John is an award-winning author and motivational speaker with over 30 years of experience as an executive and entrepreneur. John is recognized worldwide as a thought leader expert in positive change and corporate wellness. His programs help individuals reduce stress and organizations become more positive, productive, and profitable. John's book, The Daily Six, has been a worldwide success for individuals and organizations trying to become more positive and productive. The Daily Six was awarded the Best Book Award from USA Book News and is available in both English and Arabic. Before speaking and coaching full-time, John started, built, ran, and sold five companies in the Washington, D.C. area, founding his first company in the Washington, D.C. area at the age of 30. John opened his first business, The Stationers, Inc., an office products company, and in 1986 founded Corporate Interiors, Inc., an interior design and office furniture company. These two companies grew from two people to a staff of 250 with sales above $50 million per year. John has served on the boards of over 50 local and national organizations and received the U.S. Presidential Letter of Commendation for his service commitment to his community. John is gratefully married to Suzanne, the father of three great kids, Lisa, Erin, and Dayton, and five amazing grandchildren. John and Susan live in Jacksonville, Florida. John, how are you today? Aziz, thank you. I'm I'm very well, thanks. It's um it's a, a little crazy here. We were talking earlier and all of a sudden we <laughs> I had some noise in the background that I had no control over, so I wasn't sure what to do. But like you said, you just sort of persevere. <laughs> you know, you keep moving forward and, and things will tend to work out as long as you keep focused and keep forward. So uh, I'm excited to be here and I'm very much enjoying, I enjoyed speaking with you the last time and I look forward to speaking with you this time as well. Me too. I'm grateful. I feel lucky and happy to have you here today and I'll play the devil's advocate a little bit because it makes things more exciting. <laughs> I remember uh, last time you just said a few words, which is that when you have been kind to people, when you have given 
you always receive back somehow, some way in this world. I would like to challenge that because how can that, which is to some people be, be squandering of life and resources, be a guaranteed thing that it will return to you if logic and cause of an effect doesn't seem to show it that way? Well, that, that, wow. How much time do I have to answer this question? <laughs> as much um, as you want, because it's much essential. As <laughs> okay. Well, it's the reality is um, uh, it's, it is, it's very hard to quantify, but I have to, and I can only speak from my experience, and that is with m- myself, clients, and friends that I've known. Um, there, there always seems to be a perspective that once you get to some point, you look back, you realize that was a that was a good change, or that was a an appropriate change, even though at the time I thought it was a horrible experience. I can give you I can give you a couple of examples. One is me, and one is you. Uh, you know, you were talking about single mother, North Africa, uh, living in Ukraine, uh, being an illegal alien, and yet here you are on an international podcast uh, and interview process for an organization that's that's working worldwide to help people be more successful. Now, if somebody had told you that three or four years ago, uh, you would have thought they were crazy. Um, but you continue to move forward, and the experiences that you had during the last few years are the experiences that brought you to the point you are today. They brought you to a point where you're happy and grateful. And I'm sure that there have been many times in the past where happy and grateful were not things you thought were really going to be a reality again. And so, you know, my point is, is that what I call this is a gift of devastation. These are devastating experiences that we go through. And once we come out the other side, uh, we feel better. We feel more positive. Um, The people that I find realize, realize this most effectively or powerfully, I guess, are people who have had earth-shattering experiences. Um, I've had a number of clients who were cancer survivors, and those cancer survivors really took every day as a gift. It was an absolute gift. And if you haven't had that kind of devastating health fear or health experience, you don't think of it that way. You just, it's just another day. And so sometimes it requires, it doesn't require pain and devastation to get human beings to make changes, to see the world around them as something that is a wonderful experience that they can find a little glimmer of sunshine in almost any experience. The problem is, is that without having experienced it, we humans don't really do very well changing um, without without pain. Um, and in my own experience was I had sort of gone through uh, a marriage, uh, relationships with my children, and I did all this for the sake of becoming more financially successful. And uh, what happened in one of those five companies was that um, the the company just ended up in some financial tough times and ended up having to close. So I had focused all of my energies on on uh, the, the business and not on the family and not on my relationships. Uh, and so eventually the business was gone and my relationships were non-existent because I hadn't been focusing on them. And so 
it wasn't until a few years, it took me a few years to realize that that business crashing and burning allowed me to rebuild my life on a different set of principles, uh, which eventually became my book, The Daily Six. But the I wouldn't have realized that without that crashing and burning. Without that pain, I would have not come to the realization of the joys of change. Um, so we... <laughs> Human beings don't do very well with advice. They do much better with, um, it's much easier to get a person on a low fat diet after a heart attack than it is before a heart attack. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, sadly, it takes human beings a lot of time to realize that the changes that they, that they need, they don't have to go through a lot of pain and anguish to get to. They just need to create change. Um, I noticed that there are a whole lot of people that are, you know, overweight or, or suffering with real health problems, but it's not until they have uh, have a real problem uh, that they actually will get on a diet or go on an exercise program or do the other kinds of things that they need to do for their own personal growth. And from an emotional standpoint, um, it, it isn't until you realize the loss of relationships like my wife and my my children, that I began to pour time and energy and effort into those relationships to rebuild the relationships with my, with my children, with my wife, with my son. And without the pain of those <clears throat> relationships failing, I would never have gotten to the point where I realized how to make them successful. Um, and then finally, this, you had talked about in the introduction, the whole purpose behind what you all are doing is to help people who didn't have help or support find a process and a path forward to become more successful, uh, to turn these people into founders and entrepreneurs. And what so what you're doing is offering a solution to a gifts of devastation that people may be struggling with. So they can come to you and find a path through uh, from one side of what seems like failure to the other side, which is clearly success. So I'm sorry if that was a long-winded answer, but um, it's it's hard for get, to get people to understand what you're talking about unless they've actually suffered with some sort of a financial or personal or professional uh, challenge that's forced them into seeing things in a different light. Thank you. So if I understood you correctly, and I agree very much that once we're stretched beyond the limit and we have no other choice but to feel grateful <laughs> yeah. as well yeah. as to figure things out because we're yeah. facing with instant feedback or very fast feedback of a sea or an ocean of failure, then you both figure out how to behave well or to do the right things as well as become process-oriented rather than outcome-oriented. And right. uh, that gift of devastation is what builds character and makes people wise because, you know, a fool persistent in his foolishness or someone failing and being hit on the head again and again and again will right. learn to be wise. Otherwise, it's very hard to access wisdom. Is this correct? Right. No, absolutely. I mean, you can you don't have to learn from your you don't have to learn from your mistakes. It's just very painful not to. I mean, if, you ha if you're in a bad health, you have a heart attack and you decide to get healthy, change your diet, you know, spend time in meditation and stress relief processes, then you'll get better. If you decide that, ah, what the heck, I'll just keep eating the same way and exercising the same way, you'll just continue to repeat the same behaviors. And uh, 
well, there have been dozens of people this line has been attributed to, but Einstein is the one that gets attributed to it the mostly, which is doing the same thing over and over again is insanity. And so if you want, you know, one of the things that I said to people, especially it, and it comes up in the book a lot, is if you want different results, you have to find new input to get new output. And I can't create new input in my head. My head is what got me to wherever I am. It got me in the trouble I'm in or it got me in the negative thinking. So I have to find new solutions or new teachers to teach me some new lessons. And it it can require pain and, and devastation, but it doesn't have to be. Um, you know, if someone just sits down and does just a little teeny bit of uh, you can either do it with a coach or you can do it with a mentor, uh, or but you can just also do it yourself. What is it that interests you the most? Where are you struggling the most? I mean, my goodness, when I started on this journey uh, in 1991, there, there wasn't any internet. There wasn't, there wasn't anything. You know, you, you were still going to the library and picking out books, hoping to find something that would be your solution. But if you have an issue, almost any issue that you're dealing with today, uh, you can find at least an article or two about how to create that perspective, because that's what we're trying to do. And that's why my company is called Changing the Focus, because we want people to change the focus from focusing on my needs to focusing on the needs of others. And as I focus on the needs of others, my needs get taken care of. The pain or anguish happen uh, that 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 simply they simply go away because my focus. The biggest challenge to my peace of mind and my happiness is usually my thinking. It isn't the things that are going on around me. It's what's going on inside me. It's the my fear or my feeling like I can't accomplish something or feeling like I have no path forward. And I find that when I focus on helping someone else become more successful, that helps me become more successful. And that's the same way when I'm working with a company. Uh, you know, my my job, the company's perspective normally is make as much money as possible. And I can understand that. I've run a lot of companies. But my focus now is if I can get the get the company to focus on the people, the people will give the company all the profits, all the productivity numbers, all the goal setting, achieve everything they want. But if they just focus on the needs of the corporation rather than the needs of the people, they will almost never get to where they want to go. Thank you. And to play the devil's advocate again, because I love what you're saying, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that the more you take care of people's needs, the more your needs are taken care of. Well, in theory, that sounds beautiful, but we've <laughs> all had the experience where you try to help people and suddenly they want to take more and more and more. And therefore, that's why there is a whole psychological field teaching people to be assertive and to set boundaries. Right. Because sure. if it was all about giving, then nobody will be uh, have a problem as well as it tends to be like a-holes or like jerks or whatever getting to the top of corporations and sure. they tend to sure. take rather than to sure. give and become no, no, leaders. And therefore, it's beautiful. It sounds great. But how in reality does that match what we could observe? Well, what I'm trying to create is a is a paradigm shift of change of focus, because what you're saying is really the way it is. 
And what I'm saying is that's great for the few that crawl over everybody to get to the top or the people who sort of climb the ladder of success. And instead of helping the next person up behind them, they simply pull the ladder up and go, well, I got here tough, you know, too bad for you. And that's the, that's the climate I grew up in. I mean, I grew up in that climate and it wasn't until I realized that, um, if, if something goes wrong, I mean, that person climbs up that ladder and pulls it up behind them. If something goes wrong, <laughs> then they have no ladder back down. They have no friends to sort of support them or nurture them. So, you know, I know it seems like a good idea, but the, the thinking is really that that's very short-term thinking. It's not long-term thinking. And, and sadly, we've sort of become a world of short-term thinking, short-term solutions, rather than thinking, you know, I cannot tell you, you know, living here in the U.S. or watching other company, countries around the world that I'm thinking this is such a short term concept. I mean, why are you even thinking about this? Because in a few years, you're going to realize that this was a terrible mistake. Um, that's what uh, companies can can organizations can fool themselves into thinking they're being tremendously successful. And when the. The, the lights come on, they realize that they're just kidding themselves. I mean, the United States is a good example. Is the United States in the 70s thought they made the best cars in the world, and they didn't. They made some of the worst cars in the world. We, we were terrible at making cars, but the executives who drove the cars made in the U.S., every time they would drive to work every day, they would be met by a mechanic who would pick up their car, take it inside the, the, the factory or uh, floor or the office building, and they would work on it all day long while the person was in the office uh, working, and then they would meet them at the end of the day and give them their car back, and they would do that every single day. And so the people, executives making the decisions thought they were driving spectacular cars. When they were driving, really, they were driving junk. And so what they, what they were doing was blinding themselves to the reality that they needed to really make changes in the way in which the automobiles were made rather than just pampering a couple of hundred executives at the top of the chain. So once that reality came, all of a sudden the United States had a huge learning curve to try and catch up with Japan and Germany as far as the way in which they manufactured uh, the materials. Um, Japan is a really good example of, of longer term thinking how to get from where they were at the end of World War II, which was, you know, really pretty much a devastation position to where they are today, which is a, in a very strong leadership position. They, they, were, um, they were only able to do that by going through a real uh, uh, def- devastating time. Uh, and the United States, uh, I think as Winston Churchill has said, the United States will always do the right thing, but only after it's tried everything else. And, and that's kind of the way, you know, we are as people, you know, I'll be nice as long as once I realize that being nice gets me somewhere. But, and that's the other thing. And, I, and I, this is something that just struck me because I've talked about it a bunch of times, but I hadn't mentioned it here, which is, okay, I've got a selfish person, which is what you were talking about. How do you get a selfish person to behave in an unselfish way? And the way you do that is to give them a selfish reason, you know? If I'm a selfish person and I realize that by taking better care of my people, I will make more money, I will get promoted more quickly, okay, that's works. Um, if if I can get somewhere quicker, faster, better, or cheaper by being nice, then f- I will become, I will learn to become nice. Uh, 
because it benefits me. And so many times we have, we have to realize that everybody's not going to be altruistic, but we can give them some very realistic, concrete steps to take that will benefit the people around them and yet still make them feel as if they are, you know, ranked number one here. I'm not trying to turn people into Mother Teresa. There may be only one Mother Teresa that comes along in a generation, but I can turn people into really good and, and helpful and mutually beneficial people in an organization or people in a family even. Being more encouraging and connected to your family is something that's really important. And I did not I did not do that early on in my career. Thank you. Those are very, very good words of wisdom and still playing the devil's advocate <laughs> as <laughs> I should. A lot of deep thinkers and philosophers say, look, as humans, we're like that bird in the experiment that was given food at random times. And then when it happened to get the food and to turn left, they thought, oh, my God. And every time I turn left, I will get food. And it kept on turning left, left the head again and again and again and confirming it each time it works that it got food. And whenever it's not work, it's like. I'm not turning uh, left well enough or in the right way, right. which right, is right. a lot of uh, personal development is in this right. way. Sure. Look, they say randomness is not random. It comes in streaks where some people might get lucky early and they get like yeah. three or four big breaks and then they think they're invincible. And then yes. suddenly the uh, things return to the mean and they get a bad streak doing the same thing. And they say, sure. oh, my God, they lost it, etc." <laughs> and therefore, how do you know your way actually works in reality? Or does it happen to sound good and then some people will get lucky and happen <laughs> to be on the yeah. hot side of a streak? And therefore, there will be a confirmation bias while people yeah. who won't make it, you'll be like, Oh, well, you didn't like do it well enough. You didn't open <laughs> right. your heart enough or whatever right, it is. Right, so right. what's your perspective on this? Well, and how do we know really what works rather than what happens to be uh, like? Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the, the honest answer is it's, it's hard to get someone to believe in something they won't or don't believe in. Um, that's the same kind of a thing with people who pray for solutions versus people who think that's silly. Why would I possibly do that? Because then when I don't get better, does that mean God doesn't love me kind of thing? So it's, you know, there's, there's all these things that are sort of big concepts that we have a hard time really realizing, am I, am I being punished because I'm heading in the wrong direction? Am I being rewarded because I'm heading in the right direction? What I, what I would really like people to do is just to focus on the needs of them themselves to the point where they're where they're cared for. I, I'm not trying to turn wealthy, stable people into paupers because they give everything away. I don't think everybody needs to be. Uh, uh, they they need to give everything away and and live in a live in poverty so that they can take all of their wealth and and give it to others. But I do think that there is a sense of me first that needs to come down just a little bit in its level of importance. I mean, I, I live in a nice place. I have a nice car. I, you know, uh, my children have all gone to college. You know, I've, I've taken good care of my family, but uh, I, I don't, I don't, I, I try not to focus on what I need so much anymore, but what, I mean, excuse me, not so much on what I want these days, but what I need these days, because I, I've had everything I could want 
and I found myself still unhappy. Uh, a friend of mine said that to me once before. I said, I was really frustrated. And he said, well, when you had a lot of money, were you very frustrated then too? I was like, yeah. And so it's it's the way in which we think and the way in which we feel. I know lots of people. I mean, if you look at the, when I were talking about the Ukraine and the issues there, I guarantee you right now, life is horrible in those in those geographical locations. But I also guarantee you, if you go and find a group of kids with a soccer ball, there are a bunch of kids running around in a circle, smiling, laughing, playing soccer. They're living in exactly the same situation, but one one of the people is fearful and one of the people is living life on life's terms in the situations that they're currently in. Realizing that, you know, I got two choices. I can be fearful here or I can play soccer. And so it's the way in which we look at the situations that we find ourselves in. I guarantee you, when I lost that company back way back in the mid-90s, I thought my life was over. I thought I was a failure. I thought everything I had lost was never going to be recouped. Uh, then I started thinking, well, maybe it was a lucky break or maybe it was just a fluke. It wasn't that I was smart or capable. It wasn't that you know any of the things that I've been told was real. It was just that it was just a lucky break, and I'm never going to get there again. And uh, that's when I began to develop the concepts that eventually grew into the book, which is, you know, take some time, quiet time every day, whether it's prayer, meditation, mindfulness, whatever settles your mind down, and then create an intention for yourself. Okay, and then follow that intention through by reminding yourself on a moment-to-moment, hour-to-hour basis, what your intention is for the day. And keep it as simple as possible. Let's try and just be be loving or forgiving or uh, caring for others or actually taking some service or take, taking more focus on making sure that you do your own jobs right. Um, so if, if I'm acting in ways that are kind, loving, nurturing, but not foolish at the same time. I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to walk out in front of traffic because I keep my eyes closed. Uh, that's just silly. I mean, so you, you won't do things that are damaging to yourself, but you have to be able and you have to be willing to um, begin to put perspectives on something other than just me, just my needs. As we begin to focus on the needs of the people around us, we become better people. We become happier. And, and the, the things that we thought were really important. When I was younger, I, what I thought was really important was getting invited to all the business meetings, getting a, becoming chairman of this and president of that. And those were really nice, but what was really important when that went away, what was really important was the relationship with my friends and my family. And it wasn't until I had to lose everything that I learned that it was those relationships that were much more powerful. And I can, I can rebuild my business. I can rebuild my professional positions and my money and those kinds of things can be rebuilt. But relationships with family and friends are, are are delicate and they need to be maintained. They can't just be ignored. They're not pieces on a chessboard that I can sort of get all set up in a place. And then I can wander around for five or six years trying to make myself feel better about myself by being more successful. I, these are all relationships that I have to continue to nurture to make healthier and help them to grow. And when I behave that way, I will begin to feel a sense of self-worth and self-love because 
I don't begin to feel self-love because I'm not acting lovingly. <laughs> so uh, as I begin to feel self-love, it's because I'm acting in a loving way. As I begin to feel self-valued, then I, it's because I'm valuing other people. And so one is really important to connect with the other. So uh, I don't know if that answers the question or not, but we, we the only way that we'll know if it works for us is to try it. And I have never found a person yet, never found a person yet. And it's, I've dealt with some very selfish executives. I've never found a person yet who I didn't help with meditation uh, or mind focused techniques or setting better intentions for themselves that didn't end up a few months later going, oh my God, I wish I'd been doing this my whole life. Thank you. I love that. And again, the devil's advocate in operation. I might say, look, it's easy for you to say or for those executives because you had your selfish period where you build things. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're asking people to skip a developmental stage where they need to actually feel that, live that, be selfish before they're ready for your message. Or do you believe that anybody by taking it through the lens and perspective of love, of not focusing on selfishness, they can get more, be more, learn more. Because as I said, some people might say, look, you made your money, you made your success, and then you moved into the Mother Teresa phase. <laughs> Let me like go through my selfish phase, and then I'll be ready to, to be a Mother Teresa as well. Or right. what's your perspective on no, this? No, no, that's, that, that's a very good position. And I agree. It's, a, it's like the movie stars telling you how to behave. You know, you listen to what, you know, uh, Tom Cruise says, this is how you should live your life. I'm thinking, well, if I had Tom Cruise's money, I wouldn't have any problems. But if you think about it, if you look at statistics, sickness, heart attacks, um, uh, suicide, those happen just as much on the wealthy side as they do on the non-wealthy side. Um, most of those things come from certainly suicides come from a perspective in which you look at your value, self-value and the opportunities around you and see no options. Um, and for me, I believe that anyone at any time, that's why I call what I went through a gift of devastation. It wasn't because I went through a wealthy period and then decided, okay, I'm going to go be a nice person now. It's because everything I thought was important was taken away. I lost my house, cars, business, uh, all my relationships, corporate relationships, like I was, uh, I was sort of not, in, not invited to never come back to, to my industry again. Go find another way to make a living. And uh, this was, you know, I had been amazingly successful from my early 20s until my early 40s. And for that 20 year period, everything I did was, you know, just great, except at the very end when the bank decided I had a lot of assets and they needed the money. They needed the money. And so they took my assets and got their money. So, you know, is that fair? No, it was not fair. Did the courts agree that it was not fair? Yes, they agreed it was not fair, but it was legal. So the banks did what was legal. And I was sort of left on the side of the roads, you know, sitting, sitting on the curb trying to figure out, well, now what am I going to do? And the next company I started, I had to start with no money and, nothing because uh, it was all gone uh, the, uh, the the time that happened real estate prices were way down so it was not like i could sell my house and re regain a lot of money it was pretty much you know sort of 
I went from having a Porsche 911 Carrera convertible to having a 20 year old station wagon that rattled like crazy. Um, it was quite a big crack in my shell of self-ego. And, and it was that crack that allowed sort of the light of a different perspective to come in. And it, it, so it, I do know people who have done this, who have sort of had this time in their lives where they were amazingly successful and they retired and they decided they were going to become um, philanthropists. And that's wonderful. The world needs philanthropists. But I have never seen a philanthropist be as genuine in their frontline behavior as I have seen people who have made a lot, lost a lot, and then made it back or even made some of it back because they have a particular, really important perspective of having been where the other person is and realizing the pain and anguish that that person is going through. And while you think you can, it's very difficult to imagine the pain and anguish that other people go through. It's like me as a male trying to figure out what it feels like to go through labor for a woman. And I can try really hard to do that, <clears throat> but the woman is always going to be more connected to another woman, realizing the pain that they're going through. And I, <clears throat> and for me, it's a much more powerful if I've lost a wife, I've lost my children, you know, I've lost my business, I've had to rebuild back from scratch three times. Uh, but each time I began to get more confidence. After the first time, I thought I had lost all my confidence. But after rebuilding another business and then selling it and doing much better, my confidence came back. And then I was able to do it again and again. And it's, it's, there isn't really any easy way to say it, but I can guarantee you that anyone, whether you're poor or wealthy, can reach out and help somebody. Um, the, there used to be a person in Washington where I grew up. Um, that was basically what you would call a homeless person. And he would meet people at the top of the subway escalators as people would come up from the subway trail up onto the street. And he was called the, com the compliment man. And he would see you every day and he would say, that's a beautiful hat or that's a great looking shirt or you look fantastic today. And that was, you know, he had nothing. He slept on the street, but he had the capacity to help other people feel better about themselves. And, you know, eventually that worked out to be an amazing opportunity for him because he found employment and all sorts of things. But that's not why he was doing what he was doing. He was doing what he was doing because he just, that was all he could do. And every one of us has an opportunity every day to be able to change the lives of someone. There is someone out there that we could reach out and give a helping hand to. And that will help them feel better about themselves. And that will absolutely make us feel better about ourselves. And success to me is the most effective, powerful drug of all time. Once you start feeling successful, especially personally, as well as professionally, these are feelings that you have not felt very often in your life. And you'll want to repeat that feeling and the actions over and over and over again, repeating a cycle of success that you can do any time, any day, any, any day of the year. Thank you. I love that you're mentioning this topic and about success and how when you get to it or you feel it, you become like an addict repeating right. what works. 
Sure. You are preaching, at least from uh, what I understood, taking the long-term perspective, doing things that will work for you and show results over time. While we're living in an instant gratification society mm. where everybody is promoting the idea that through massive success and grind and hustle, you can, within one year, become a multimillionaire. You can get to stratospheric levels that are exceptional when it comes to success, where the opposite of what you did, where you can uh, go from like a car that is falling apart into a Lamborghini or whatever within six right. months. So what is good, better or right about taking a slow and long-term perspective? And is this what you're saying? Well, this is certainly a time frame in which overnight success can actually happen. I mean, you can become a Justin Bieber by standing in your living room and doing some recording. And if you have the talent, somebody will notice it and they will pick up it, pick up on it. But if you go out and listen to YouTube videos, there are thousands and thousands of Justin Bieber type people out there, and there's only going to be one. There are thousands and thousands of people who wanted to play professional sports, but there's only one Michael Jordan, you know. And so we have to realize that there's only a place for one or two people who are this amazingly top of the top of the top space. There's just not a lot of space up there for those types of people. So what am I going to do? Does that mean I'm just not going to bother? Is that Does that mean I there's no point for me to even try because I can't make that much money? Um, I can assure you that I've lived at a point in my life where money wasn't the question. It was just how many do I want or what color do I want or what brand do I want to buy? It didn't have anything to do with could I afford it. And I can guarantee you for a fact, and I think this is what helps me, with the reality is I can tell you for a fact, there were many times where I felt less valuable than I do today. There's a difference between being successful and being significant. And I have found many, many, many uh, successful people who are definitely not very significant in the lives of other people because what they do with their significance, or excuse me, what they do with their success is focus it all back on themselves. And I'm sure in your life, you have met people that have just sort of given you a powerful feeling of, I like this person, I want to find out more about this person. And then there are also people in your life that you have met that are successful too, but it's just like, yeah, I, you know, this guy really doesn't, this man or this woman really doesn't do anything for me. I just don't really want to get or stay too deeply connected with this person. So, and that's usually a person who's focuses on being significant versus a person who simply focuses on being successful. And my feeling is, is that, you know, we're given a life and service is the responsibility for the life that we have. Um, you still have a service to yourself. You have a service to your family. You also have a service to your people if you have a company. Um, and then you have a service to your society because, you know, there's a phrase that says, uh, you know, a rising tide rises all boats. And and to me, that also means that a, a lowering tide lowers all boats. So if we don't find a way to sort of think societally rather than individually, and I think that's one of the big weaknesses with the U.S. is that we tend to think the strong, rugged individualism is the key to success. And yes, maybe that was true 200 years ago, but today 
if we're going to be successful, we have to start thinking societally because you being successful and me being not successful doesn't, <laughs> isn't good for the whole company, country or the whole company for having departments that are filled with people who don't perform and departments are filled with people who do perform. All that creates is animosity, resentment, fear, frustration within this within the people in the country, with the people within the organization, or the people within the family. People need to feel as if they're needed, that they're valued, and they're encouraged to become a part of uh, much more important to them than it is to feel as if they have to fight to get in. Uh, if we can eliminate all this concept of fighting, uh, everything is taught about, you know, let's the battle of the ages, even in sports, is talk, talked about like fighting. Um, and if we could think about it more like enjoy it because it's a sport, I mean, I wish I was making the kind of money the sports guys do, but it's still a game and it still can be enjoyed. And it's the same thing with business. It still can be enjoyed, but it, it's not going to ever be enjoyed if it's only for the sake of a few at the detriment to the many. It has to be something that everyone feels like they put effort in and they get something back. Thank you. I love this very much. I learned a lot. This was very insightful. So can you speak about your new thoughts? Like if anybody wants to discover your new thoughts about leadership, about generosity, about love, where should they go? A little bit about your books or any trainings or speaking or services that people can contact you about. Sure. Well, the, the, the simplest way is to go to my website, which is my name, johnchapelier.com. And um, that will be a good place to start. There are ways in which you can contact me through the website. Um, you, can, uh, you can also just send me an email, which is john at johnchapelier.com. So it's pretty easy to find me. If you type my name into almost any uh, social media or web address, you'll you'll see quite a bit about me and my training and my programs. Um, the books, the book, the idea behind the book was to balance that sense of significance and success to help people who are struggling with uh, having because this the where I said the idea of of feeling successful because people don't have a tendency to feel successful. There's also a, there's also a side that that's greedy. And if you have never felt like you ever had enough in your life, your first inclination is to take as much as you can and not worry about the people around you. And so what I'm trying to help people do, especially those who are struggling to find themselves running businesses or running small companies or running divisions of big companies is there are ways in which you can balance the sense of success, both personally and professionally, with a sense of significance, personally and professionally. And that's what I work on with my coaches, coaching clients. That's what I work on with mentoring people, or, or and especially with organizations of doing training. Anything I do, I mean, the Daily Six is basically starting out with a sense of willingness to try some new things, find new teachers, new things. Then as you begin your day, you do it with some sort of quiet time, whether that be prayer, meditation, mindfulness, anything that sort of allows you to open your heart and your mind to a new day. And that new day is a new path. And if you put your heart and your mind on a new path every day, your life will follow. Then focusing on service to others, loving and forgiving, enough so you're not carrying a lot of anger and resentments on a daily basis, being grateful for 
life's challenges and life's gifts. Uh, because I find that most of the challenges I get in my life are eventually seen as gifts. And then finally, let's do something about it rather than just thinking about it or writing more books about it. You know, let's actually do something today that will make a difference in my life and in the lives of the people I come in contact with. Um, and that's how I drive all of my training. That's how I drive all of my consulting work is since I ran companies for 30 years, I understand how to run companies. I understand how to turn them around or how to build them. But I do everything now from the basis of the daily six, whether it's strategic planning, goal setting, uh, onboarding, uh, organizational development or growth, uh, planning, all of those things are also embodied with the concepts within the daily six. And so what we end up with is a successful plan that is also will be significant in the lives who implement it. You know, it won't be just something that's important to leadership. It will be important to everyone. And I guarantee you, when everyone is contributing to the success of an organization, you are a much more successful organization when it's just the top one or 2% of the people in an organization. When everybody feels as if they're pulling together for the betterment of, the, of themselves and everybody, I mean, the betterment of themselves and the organization, then the productivity in, is astronomically higher. This, this, finally, after talking about this for 20 years, there are finally some statistical data that you can see out there that shows how much more deliverables and how much more productivity you get from a person who's engaged and committed and involved in an organization than you do if you have an organization that does not have people who are committed or engaged or feeling included. And the effort it takes to lead and manage the way I talk about it takes more work, but the results are dramatically better and worth every minute that you can invest in yourself and in your organization to build better skills, to build deeper connections. And that to me is why we're in business, is to make, sell, make money, grow, and help people grow at the same time. And for that, you know, I, I think it's, there's a lot of things that people can do. Um, but if you want to reach out through the website, you can reach me that way. Uh, I write a weekly newsletter, which is called the Positive Thought of the Week, which relates to a positive thought for personal, your personal side of your life and a positive thought for the business side of your life. Uh, it goes out once a week and uh, usually on Mondays or Tuesdays. And and I also post real regularly uh, on, on LinkedIn and Facebook and a little bit more on Instagram, but not, not too much. Mostly it's LinkedIn and Facebook. But, and both of those are just type my name in to LinkedIn or Facebook and you'll be taken right to my page. Uh, and there's lots of different things there. When I talk about things like, you know, love surrounding us, sometimes people look at that and go, what is this? Some sort of warm and fuzzy, you know, Hare Krishna baloney kind of thing. And it's like, no, it's not. It's really very sound business practices driving very sound concrete results, just looking at things in a different way than we used to look at them before. So if you want to reach me, I'm always available. Thank you, John. This was my privilege, my honor, and I wish you a great day. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Aziz. It's been wonderful talking to you again, and I, and I wish you much luck and safety where you in the places that you are living. Keep, keep yourself safe. Mm -hmm.